All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Voyager. Trading cryptocurrency can be tough. I'm not just talking about making smart crypto investments. I'm talking about simply finding the right places to trade. Whether it's a lack of liquidity on key trading pairs, the risk of having your account shut down or coins compromised, or just feeling like a second-class citizen versus the exchange's accredited clients, the deck can feel stacked against you and other retail investors. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a brand new trading platform that just launched called Voyager. Voyager is a fast, 100% commission-free trading app, no bullshit, that helps you trade over 20 cryptos. Best part, Voyager is a licensed crypto broker, so you don't have to worry about your account getting terminated or losing access to coins you want to trade. Their new iOS app is crazy fast and routes your trades to a network of exchanges so you can get unmatched access to the crypto market and a better price on your trades without having to create multiple exchange accounts and take on that burden yourself. So check it out today. Sign up at investvoyager.com slash Masari to earn $25 worth of free Bitcoin. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm here with Kane Warwick, the founder of Synthetics. Uh, we're, we're doing a, a, a rough cut here in the hallway at no. ETH Berlin slash DAPCON. No. Uh, it's been an action-packed week here between Web3 summits and, and a couple of other conferences. So uh, excited to have Kane uh, join us. We're going to talk a little bit about um, synthetic assets, uh, challenges of, of actually bringing real-world data uh, to execute smart contracts effectively. You guys know all about that, you know for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and just generally uh, talk a little bit more about the scene here in Berlin. Um, first, I want to thank our sponsor for this podcast, Voyager. Uh, more on them in the mid-roll, but, um, but, but I guess for starters, um, Kane, why don't we take a step back, just walk through the, you know, your kind of introduction to crypto, sure. um, how you got into the industry, and, yep. and, and you know, generally why you focused on uh, synthetic assets and kind of bridging yeah, you know, sure. or, or the old and the new with, uh, with crypto. Yeah, so thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so uh, we're sitting on beanbag chairs. We're sitting too. on, yeah, we're sitting on beanbags uh, in a hallway. Um, so uh, I um, was in online retail uh, for a long time, uh, both uh, online and offline retail. Uh, and the first kind of, uh, I guess, main interaction I had with crypto was uh, Asher Pant from Coinjars, um, who's one of the early crypto guys in Australia. Um, I got in touch with him about uh, essentially allowing people to use Bitcoin to buy things online mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, fraud rates and chargebacks and all of those kinds of issues were something that we we're trying to solve. You know, this is back when the payment narrative was still a thing for Bitcoin. Um, so. That was my initial introduction. Uh, we ended up uh, launching that, but there wasn't a huge amount of demand. Uh, and then in 2014, uh, I started another startup, which was a payment startup that allowed people to uh, deposit cash over the counter uh, into mobile apps and, and uh, a bunch of different services. 
And so when we launched that, uh, it just made a lot of sense to integrate crypto exchanges. Uh, and so we now- It wasn't crypto specific though. It wasn't crypto specific, but one of the main use cases I had in mind was you know, crypto, uh, crypto deposits. So we supported like wagering, bill payments, and a bunch of other things. Uh, but getting money into crypto because of the chargeback, uh, you know, and, uh, the immutability on the crypto side um, is quite hard. And so this was good because you know, people would come in and they'd hand over physical cash, they'd get BTC, and there was no risk of you know fraud or chargebacks or things like that. So um, we launched uh, in 2014 and you know, scaled it up. Uh, we now support about 10 different crypto exchanges, including Binance, uh, where Binance is uh, via Gateway in Australia. So that was my intro to crypto, and and then uh, in 2016, 2016. Uh, as crypto market started to you know, grow and you know, we got into that, uh, uh, that major kind of expansion, we had a similar issue in Australia as we saw in Korea and some of the other markets where the spreads really got quite crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, we never got as crazy as Korea, but you know, oftentimes it was 10 to 12% uh, to buy Bitcoin above mm-hmm. spot rate. And so I had this idea that if you had a decentralized stable coin, you'd be able to use that to uh, you know, essentially arb and, and you know, bring those spreads down. Uh, and that was a good idea at the time. Um, but unfortunately, uh, regulated stable coins kind of came in in 2018 and, and blew that use case out of the water. And so towards the end of 2018, we decided to pivot towards synthetic assets. And that's how we got here. And, and define synthetic assets uh, for us. Uh, yeah. you know, stable coins are probably the first killer yes. synthetic asset Absolutely. that the folks have tried to create. Yeah. Um, how would you kind of map that ecosystem right now and, and, and where are you focused? I think you know, the majority of the stable coin activity is now uh, collateralized. You mm-hmm. know, so fiat collateralized stable coins. Uh, and you've got like, Trios, D, Paxos, Gemini, uh, Circle, etc. That's you know the majority of the activity is there, but we are starting to see um, you know a little bit more uh, success from things like Maker's Dai, right? So you know Dai is a synthetic U.S. dollar uh, instrument, um, and what we've done with synthetics is to basically expand on that mechanism and say you know, you've got crypto collateral rather than custodial you know, fiat collateral in a bank or, or you know, in some kind of institution. So you've got on-chain crypto collateral that's used to issue. Uh, synthetic assets. And we've got a, you know, about 15, 20 different synthetic assets that we support now, um, including you know, fiat currencies, commodities, so gold and silver, uh, some cryptocurrencies. Um, and most recently, we launched a, uh, an index token, which is an index of the top five crypto tokens uh, for exchanges. So BNB, Leo, Corby, etc. So uh, walk through how you go about putting gold yeah, on the blockchain, right? yeah. And, and kind of the steps that you need to take um, just to create that contract, but then also um, how you can ensure that the synthetic asset mirrors the price of, of gold yeah. uh, reliably. That's the hard part. <laughs> that's, that's the challenge. So um, there is another gold project on, on Ethereum, uh, which is Digix. Digix. So Digix uh, has gold that's locked in a vault in Singapore, and they essentially have a custodian that manages that, right? Um, and, you know, essentially the way that that management uh, of pricing and, and the parity of pricing between the gold token on Ethereum and in the real world is managed is redeemability. Mm-hmm. So you can redeem that token for gold, theoretically, you know, uh, by going to Singapore and presenting it and getting, getting your gold. Um, 
We don't have that luxury. So we're a soft peg. You can't actually redeem uh, our synthetic assets for the underlying collateral. Um, and so the way that we manage the pricing is we have an oracle. So there's a price oracle that essentially says this is the price of this asset uh, on chain, and the uh, the token itself uh, mirrors that price. Now, the challenge is liquidity. Then, right? How do people you know, uh, move in and out of it? And the way that we've solved that is by using Uniswap. Um, mm -hmm. So we have uh, about 4,000 ETH worth of liquidity on Uniswap, um, which is kind of a bridge between Ethereum and our, uh, our synthetic asset ecosystem. And 4,000 4, ETH covers all of the synthetic assets that you're currently it, offering? It covers the on-ramp into the ecosystem. Okay. Right? So, so essentially, if you wanted to move you know, $10,000 or $20,000 worth of ETH into our synthetic asset ecosystem, mm -hmm. you could do that with pretty minimal slippage. Um, so at the moment, that's kind of the main mechanism for maintaining the peg of all of these different assets uh, into you know, the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem. So we, the way to think about this then would probably be um, Tether yeah. uh, is more similar to Digix, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and then you would be more similar to Maker, Correct. right? Uh, in, in, in terms of how you actually go about providing access to, to these um, the different assets. That's right. So, um, so the, the index and then you know, some of these commodities are step one. Um, we've seen other companies uh, think about creating synthetic securities, right? So how can yeah. you invest in Tesla and, and you know, Uber and, yeah. and, uh, and Apple and whatnot? Um, it, it's surprising me that none of that has really taken off. Why, why is that? Is it just um, setting up the oracles and getting that reliable data feed that's the challenge? Or I think what, there's what a, kind of drives there's a couple of challenges. Um, so one of the challenges is in order for people to trust uh, so, you know, you could do the tether approach, right? You could go and, and buy these equities mm -hmm. and put them in, you know, a trust somewhere and then issue a token against it. But if you did that, regulators would be very unhappy, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that kind of pathway, the tether pathway, if you will, is not really open, right? Uh, at least right now. No one's been able to really solve that uh, because then, you know, management of those assets and who's holding them in KYC and AML becomes really hard on so the alternative solution is to launch it in a, the way that we've launched our assets, right? Mm -hmm. It's crypto collateralized, it's all on chain. Uh, there's no um, sort of custody required. Um, and the challenge there, the reason why I think it hasn't taken off is it's really hard to get that bootstrap. You know, so Dai was able to do it because they had you know, early momentum with ETH holders and a lot of people put a lot of ETH in to, to kind of provide that liquidity. Um, but it's not necessarily an easy thing. We've only just in the last month or so been able to kind of get enough traction that people really believe that this debt, you know, that the uh, synthetic ETH is worth money. You know, that that maintaining that parity has, has been quite hard. So, so this this kind of works in different steps, right? Um, yeah. For at time zero, you're going to have major problems with liquidity. So you, yeah. you want to go asset by asset and kind of figure out where the market's going to be with you. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, you know, about half a million dollars worth of, of ETH in Uniswap. Yeah, correct. Yeah. 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 Um, four thousand. Yeah, it's, it's about four thousand. So yeah, call it little, circa eight hundred k. Yeah. Okay. Eight hundred k. So that's not a lot, right? And especially if you're spreading that across multiple assets. So um, what's the most liquid asset right now? So this is kind of the interesting thing, right? Um, the way that the mechanism works is it's a pool of collateral. So all of the assets are backed by the same collateral pool, mm -hmm. right? 
And that collateral pool is connected to the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem via this Uniswap pool. Um, so if you have ETH right now and you want to get into a synthetic asset, you go via Uniswap and you trade that ETH into synthetic ETH. Mm -hmm. Once you've got synthetic ETH, you can convert that into any of the other assets. So you can get synthetic Bitcoin, you can get uh, a synthetic index token, synthetic gold, and there's actually no uh, limitation from the liquidity perspective. Once you've got that debt, you have the right to go to the contracts and reprice it. And that's really the kind of the power of the system is that anyone who's holding debt has the right to reprice it against the contracts uh, to the you know, value that they're holding. And, and that's happening on Synthetics platform or Uniswap? So Uniswap is just the, the on-ramp on to get to these assets. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, what is the typical slippage for the most liquid asset that's, that's currently available using Synthetics? And then, uh, and then yeah. you know, bootstrapping liquidity is, um, it, by definition, it means you're going to have spreads and, right. and, and yeah. it's going to be you know, inefficient. But for highly volatile assets where people are just looking for exposure that might otherwise be difficult to get, don't really care, right? Yeah. It's the same thing like paying an OTC broker, or right. paying local Bitcoins, you know, at times you're gonna be willing to, 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 to spend, you know, three, four, five, even 10%, right? yeah. as we saw, you know, in, in Australia and, and in Korea. Um, walk me through how, um, how those spreads come down over time, what, what amount of liquidity is necessary, what type of, of uh, spikes or inefficiencies um, you see on an ongoing basis and, and, and you know, what, if anything, can be exploited yeah. um, from you know, a market maker that's going rogue or, yeah. or, or whatnot. So, and so this, I, is, yeah. this, this is separate from the Oracle conversation. We'll get to that. But. Okay. Um, so, so I think probably the best analogy uh, to use is imagine that uh, synthetics exchange is you know, similar to like a centralized exchange, right? You need the deposit and withdrawal mechanism mm -hmm. uh, to get in there. Once you're in there, there's infinite liquidity. So once you've deposited money, any asset, you can, you can freely move between any of the different assets because you're mm -hmm. just repricing them, right? So the big challenge for us is the on-ramps and off-ramps. So how do we let you, let's say you have $10,000 and you want to deposit it and more importantly, withdraw it later, right? Because that's, you know, you can go in one direction, but getting out is the hard part. Um, how do we ensure that you have low slippage there? And at the moment, for, for $10,000, it's about 1%, give or take. Mm -hmm. um, for $50,000, it starts to go up at like 5%, you know, potentially higher. So I think that's the thing that we're trying to solve over time is ensuring that we've got really efficient on ramps into and out of the exchange. Mm -hmm. Once you're on the exchange, you've got no limitations. You can, you can trade. So, for example, we've seen uh, block trades of up to 750 $1,000 on the exchange. Um, so someone can trade $750,000 worth of synthetic Bitcoin into synthetic US dollars, the, the network just lets you reprice that. Mm -hmm. uh, but then to move $750,000 out into Ethereum would be 30% you know, slippage. It's yeah. just not enough yeah. movement in it. Um, and you think that's going to be consistent with any asset that's listed? It is, yeah. yeah okay. it's, it's kind of the benefit of the mechanism is that once in there, you've got income. It's just making sure we boost up the liquidity into and out of the ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Voyager. Trading cryptocurrency can be tough. I'm not just talking about making smart crypto investments. I'm talking about simply finding the right places to trade. Whether it's a lack of liquidity on key trading pairs, 
the risk of having your account shut down or coins compromised, or just feeling like a second-class citizen versus the exchange's accredited clients, the deck can feel stacked against you and other retail investors. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a brand new trading platform that just launched called Voyager. Voyager is a fast, 100% commission-free trading app, no bullshit, that helps you trade over 20 cryptos. The best part, Voyager is a licensed crypto broker, so you don't have to worry about your account getting terminated or losing access to coins you want to trade. Their new iOS app is crazy fast and routes your trades to a network of exchanges so you can get unmatched access to the crypto market and a better price on your trades without having to create multiple exchange accounts and take on that burden yourself. So check it out today. Sign up at investvoyager.com slash Masari to earn $25 worth of free Bitcoin when you download the Voyager iOS app and register. So how do you think about um, the assets that you're going to target um, next? Because uh, obviously a crypto native protocol is going to have, uh, you're going to be able to, I think, generate much more interest in crypto assets or commodities yeah. that, that are kind of familiar to, to folks. Um, to me, uh, one killer application of, of, of you know, crypto, and, and particularly what you're building, could be, giving people in India, say, exposure to U.S. stocks. Yep. Um, so you've got an education problem, you've got kind of the technical lift, but um, when when does that become feasible, right? So, so yep. what are the structural impediments to actually getting that done um, in the kind of near to medium term? Yeah, I think that's, it kind of speaks to your earlier question about, you know, why have we not seen this yet? Mm -hmm. I think the consumers of uh, traditional assets, you know, people who don't have access to a broker account, et cetera, are also not connected to the Ethereum ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that connectivity <laughs> you know, needs to emerge. Um, and as someone who's been operating a fiat on-ramp in, in you know, Australia, which is obviously a um, you know, non-emerging economy, we've got fairly sophisticated payment infrastructure, but it's still high friction. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the ability to kind of build out that infrastructure, I think it's just starting to come online. So, we're seeing things like wire, you know, where now you can use a credit card to, to make a, a you know, small purchase, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, the, uh, the ability to kind of bring these things together and connect people into this ecosystem is going to emerge. And then at that point, providing that, you know, those US stocks and equities and indices and things like that, will, they'll be demanded. But at the moment, you and I, well, why are we doing that, right? It doesn't make that much sense because yep. we've got brokerage accounts that we can access. So, um, you know, you need the demand side, but you also need the connectivity and you've got to connect that pipe together. And you need good data, right? Yeah. So we're going to get to that in one yeah, seven, yeah. second and talk about some of the things that you guys have learned from, from, from Oracle Maintenance. Um, first though, uh, quick shout out to our sponsor, Voyager. The time it takes for me to finish this ad roll, uh, Voyager could search dozens of crypto exchanges to find the very best price for your crypto trades. Your licensed crypto broker, crazy fast iOS app, I've tried it out, uh, that gives you access to more than 20 coins today and is 100% commission free, no bullshit. They make money while you save money on tighter cross exchange trading spreads. So head over to investvoyager.com slash Masari, that's investvoyager.com and earn $25 of free Bitcoin when you download the Voyager iOS app and register and help us out because they're a good supporter of unqualified opinions. So, all right, uh, let's get back to it. So uh, 
let's talk about the the billion dollar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, quick backdrop. There was uh, an Oracle bug yes. that led to a thousand x price discrepancy That's right. amidst uh, some of your your uh, on, on the assets. Korean Wong, specifically ba uh, based on the Korean Wong yeah. that a trading bot was able to exploit. That's right. And at least on paper, make a billion dollars. Uh, it was actually eleven. Eleven billion dollars. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I was getting at, at a certain point. I, I, I appreciate I, I, you I, I, having it down by an order of magnitude, <laughs> but it was actually eleven. All right. Yeah. So, on a personal basis, yeah. Um, were you awake when that happened, or did that wake you up? Yeah, I, I was, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. So, uh, you know, we have an office in New York. We've got people kind of spread around everywhere. So, I typically, <coughs> I'll typically get up uh, at about like three, three thirty in the morning, and I'll kind of check to make sure that nothing crazy is going on. And I usually go back to bed after an hour. Yeah. Um, this is the one time in maybe like six months I didn't do that. Uh, so I went to bed at like midnight, and I woke up at about six thirty, and uh, uh, Jordan, uh, who's based in New York, uh, called me and he said, um, we've got a problem. Uh, and it's kind of interesting when you have such a complex system, immediately you start cycling through where could this problem be? Is it a problem? Uh, um, yeah, so, so we, uh, we essentially um, realized that the Oracle had failed. There was, a, there was an outage in the Oracle. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we had to um, negotiate with the bot owner. Uh, to try and you know, roll back the, uh, the transactions, essentially. So um, we were able to do it. We, there was no loss of funds. And I, I think you know, it does sort of speak to the way that the mechanism works. So we've got around about $40 million worth of collateral. And so the situation we were in is there was $40 million worth of collateral backing $11 billion worth of debt. Mm -hmm. right? So the whole system was under collateralized. And so there would be no way for that person to kind of take those gains, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, what we did is but just, it broke the system. It broke right. the system. Yeah. Absolutely, the system was frozen at that point, right? And so, you know, we said to the bot owner, "Okay, we found a bug. You exploited it. We'll give you a bug bounty." It was a fairly tense negotiation because they wanted a lot of money, and we were like, "You know, we can't just give you, uh, you know, whatever you want." You know, so we eventually were able to work out something that uh, I think you know was reasonable on both sides, and that was bad. Uh, but I think it, it very much speaks to the risks of you know these highly complex systems, and particularly when you've got uh, an oracle which mm -hmm. you know, controls all the prices in the system that is centralized. And you know something that we knew on an abstract level was a, a high risk part of the system, probably one of the, the highest risk um, parts of the system. But um, you know it became practically you know, uh, an issue as well. So we're looking at. Um, a bunch of different Oracle solutions, including Chainlink, mm -hmm. um, to remove some of the centralization. Um, and I think the most important thing about that is all of our concepts are open source. This is the only closed source piece of software in the platform, and it was long ago. Um, and I think there's a lesson in that uh, that you know it, you don't want things that are not uh, that don't have more bibles on them. Mm -hmm. So you know that's probably the biggest takeaway for me in the whole uh, experience is. You know, having something that is centralized and closed source in an open source ecosystem is just a huge potential point of failure. Um, is this is this a crypto specific problem? Is it the data providers that are, are you know provisioning these APIs and and I mean these are just commercial and currency APIs. This okay. wasn't crypto. This was you know like a commercial forex API. Interesting. Right? 
And you know, we uh, we put a lot of effort into um, making the crypto API super robust, mm -hmm. right? We unfortunately made an assumption that these commercial APIs would be fairly robust, and it turned out to be wrong. And you know, we had a simultaneous failure of two of them, and one of them had been offline. And so this cascading failure essentially, you know, opened. But we never thought this would be forex that would catch us. We thought it'd be crypto. So, um, do you? It's interesting because there's a lot that people kind of hype up about. Um, you know, unstoppable contracts and, you know, yeah. uh, just, you know, autopilot, you know, DAOs and, yeah. and DAPs and, yeah. and, and things like that. Um, I, I think you see an example like what happened with synthetics and, and kind of the failure of the Oracle. And you kind of think maybe you have to have circuit breakers by default, right? Just like the public markets do. If, yeah. if something, uh, it looks anomalous because it's orders of magnitude different, yeah. you know, in a split second yeah. than what you'd expect. Um, you probably want to build in mechanisms to, to shut things down, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's working on that. It, it seems like everybody's just kind of go, go, go. Let's 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 make yeah. let's make sure that um, that these things can run on auto autopilot the way that we've you know, spoken about them. Yeah. But um, but I think uh, in this market, is it such a bad thing to have downtime? It, particularly yeah. if you if you catch an anomaly like that, and and and, and maybe the question then is, um, what additional steps uh, have you guys taken just to do your own kind of in-house anomaly detection? But then maybe more importantly, is that a market need, right? That's yeah. not that's still not getting met, um, you know, by Chainlink or, or any of the other local sure. services today. Yeah. So so I think there's um, there's a whole bunch of questions in there, uh, and and some of it is kind of at an ideological level, mm -hmm. right? Um, so for me personally, uh, you know, I'm a, a crypto activist. I believe that we should have these unstoppable contracts, but I'm also a pragmatic founder of a startup you know, that's trying to you know, get to the product market fit, right? And those things are intentional, you know, because we want something that we can deploy that is censorship resistant and you know, can just continue to run, but it's reliant on outside data, which means that there's trusted aspects to it. It's also reliant on our ability to upgrade it. And so we've been very, uh, as transparent as we can be, you know, we've been very upfront, certainly within our community, that we have a lot of control over the contracts. Um, you know, and we can essentially, through our proxy architecture, redeploy things and, and shut them down, etc. Um, but the intent is over time to cut those borders. But to your, I guess, question specifically about getting these data feeds in, we now have some mechanisms where if something happens and there is a huge shift, uh, the system will automatically shut itself down. Um, and then there's a requirement for uh, someone, and in this case, it's currently the team, to step in and, and identify the issue. In the future, what I'd like to see is if that anomaly, you know, if that trigger gets, uh, gets flipped, um, and the system is shut down, then it's actually the community that then decides to re-enable the contracts, right? So I think that we can move over time away from this centralized control. Um, and it, it also sort of speaks to your question around equities and things like that, because if you have a, a centralized service that's offering you know, access to Tesla for people in India, there's regulatory concerns about that potential, right? So um, if you genuinely want to have an open permission a system where any asset can be listed, it needs to be genuinely open and permissionless. And right now it's not. And so that's something that we're really working on to kind of cut some of those bridges and get the, the system 
as permissionless and decentralized as it can be. Well, securities are interesting because you do have a certain um, trading window, right? Yeah. So you have downtime of yeah, you do. Um, and yes, you could provide like overnight liquidity and, and, and you know the, the ability for people to trade these assets, these synthetic assets overnight. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to actually pulling data and making sure that your yeah. synthetic asset is not totally mispriced, or yeah. that the market makers have the, the opportunity to you know trade around any yeah. mispricing. Um, it seems like there's you know kind of a natural pause yes uh yep. and, and breaking the action where you would be able to fix some of these issues or right. make upgrades or, yep. or you know um flagging an anomaly and shutting down the system might mean that you lose a trading day yeah right yep. versus figuring out okay when i redeploy uh and, and kind of turn the system back on what's going to happen yeah what, what's going to happen you know how, how do we how do we roll everything back it seems like it would be uh, easier to do that and say, okay, we're, we're done for the day. Yeah. Uh, we've we've halted trading. Trading will reopen at 9.30 just yeah. the way you'd see for, for a stock that has a major announcement, right? That's right. Um, so maybe that's not as true for some of the crypto assets and, and, and the expectation is going to be that this is more Wild West, but it, it would seem to be um, less of a concern perhaps with uh, any synthetic securities that might get listed later on. Yeah, correct. So, so I think there's... There's a question of like user experience here as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, if I am in India, I might not be aware of you know when the markets open in New York, right? Um, and so the question is, you know, do you freeze trading when trading's not open? Do you use you know some kind of futures feed or um, you know uh, after hours trading? How do we blend those things and, and how do we make the user experience as good as possible? Um, and then I think there's a secondary question, which is. Who is stopping them? You know, who's halting trading? Is it the system itself? And what level of engagement is there from humans to decide whether it's reopened, et cetera? And, and those are open questions that need to be answered in these platforms, basically. So what's next on the roadmap for, uh, for synthetics? But, uh, what should people be on the lookout for? Yeah, so, I mean, the index token was our most recent one. Um, you know, so that's, that's something that we're going to be, uh, I guess, you know, rolling out and talking about a lot more. Um, but probably the, the biggest change that's coming up later in the year is uh, full synthetic position. So it will be much closer to like a BIPMEX or Deribit like futures market uh, than uh, you know, the existing sort of swap trading market that we have now. Uh, so that's, that's going to be the biggest upgrade that we've had probably all year. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, Kane, it's been uh, fun hanging out in Berlin yeah. and, uh, and best of luck with everything going forward. Uh, thank you for everybody for tuning in and, and bearing with me while I get over this cold here. Um, so uh, if I sniffled a couple times, please disregard. I'll have the Blockbridge group guys edit that out for the, uh, for the podcast itself. Um, but until next time uh, and later on today or, or tomorrow when we have another couple uh, live interviews here from Berlin. Thanks again. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.